We're in the book of Matthew. Chapter 12, and we're in lesson number 35. And last week, you might remember if you were here, we spoke about our vision at KSS, Kehalat Sar Shalom, and how it is a fulfillment of prophecy of the Messiah Yeshua in John 4.23. Where Yeshua says, A time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And this is part two of that message. And so if you weren't here last week, please go to the resource center and get that message today because it's important for your understanding of the total picture here. But in that message, by way of quick review, I spoke about how Yeshua's life, throughout his life, he fulfilled prophecy in two ways. First, he completed prophecy. As an example, those prophecies like Psalm 22, which speak of his death. And others, he fulfilled by adding completeness to their meaning. He filled them up with meaning, as in, Messiah will be a light to the nations. And then we spoke about how we do the same thing in fulfilling John 4.23. With every Shabbat service with every message that restores a first century understanding of the word of God. Every time we do the temple prayers, keep the festivals, we're restoring, we're fulfilling a prophecy. John 4.23 where Yeshua said, A time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Sabbath was the day that they kept holy and dedicated to the Lord. And it's the day we keep holy and dedicated to the Lord. The temple prayers are what they said when they went to the temple on the Sabbath day. It's the prayers we say on the Sabbath day. They went to the temple and kept the festivals of the Lord. And when we gather on those Sabbaths and we worship as they did, we bring meaning and completeness to the words of Yeshua. And in that message, I spoke about how this was the task that God had given to me to do. When I was sent to do ministry, Yeshua said, go preach John 4.23. It's the task God has given me to do. It's the whole soul mission of this ministry. And when you become part of Kehilat Sar Shalom, you become part of that ministry. It's what God asked me to complete, nothing else. And everything I do, every decision I make will be through the lens of those words. Does it fulfill those words? Does it add meaning and understanding to those words? That's the sole purpose for this community. It was formed as a platform for that message to build a community of people who were seeking to restore the worship of the Father in spirit and in truth. And to fulfill this prophecy of Messiah. When we speak of truth in that statement, understand that we're also trying to get to a place where we understand the Torah, the prophets, in our messianic writings, so that we have the same understanding of these things as the disciples and Yeshua. And if we can do that, then we're restoring the truth part of the equation. I want to look at the word for worship. And we can either look at the Greek, which is proskunio, or we can look at the Hebrew, shechah, because they're both the same. So we'll just look at the Greek. But it says this, in the New Testament, by kneeling or prostration to do homage to one or make obeisance, 
whether in order to express respect or to make supplication, used of homage to show, shown to men and beings of superior rank. Now you've got to ask yourself, Yeshua says, worship in spirit and truth. And so how do you prostrate yourself in spirit and in truth? Well, obviously there's a bit more to this worship than is what is plainly stated in the meaning of the Greek word. But notice that it says to make obeisance and express respect for rank. That's the meaning of the word. To acknowledge another superior importance. Now the English definition of the word worship is much broader. It includes things like singing, dancing, other forms of worship, which is fine because as we're going to see today, it's the way the people of Israel paid homage to God as well. But to restore the worship, we looked at how Yeshua did that. Years ago, we looked at how Yeshua did that, how the disciples did that, because Yeshua told us at that time they worshiped the Father in spirit and truth. And so if we want to do that, all we have to do is copy what they did. To restore the worship as it was in the first century, we've taken a path of restoring the temple prayers. For those of you who may not know the liturgy that so many like to miss for whatever reason, it's not just made up sayings and wishes of some rabbi, but they are the same prayers that were said in the temple daily with the offerings. And while I don't have the hour it takes, I can walk you through Scripture and show you that they were given by God, that they were prayed by Yeshua and the disciples, and so they were part of the worship that Yeshua speaks of. Stopping what you were doing in the day, taking that time to pay homage to God by doing what He commanded to be done. That was part of the worship. We've also, in our services, incorporated Davidic dance in our service, some tambourines. And the worship leaders endeavored to do mostly what I call messianic music. That requires definition. Let me tell you what I call messianic music. When I came into the messianic movement, there were very few messianic groups. Two or three. Lamb, Israel's Hope, Jonathan Sattel. And they sang, listen, they sang exclusively scripture put to music and in the minor keys. In the worship of the temple, the priests sang songs. They led the people in worship or paying homage to God by stopping what they were doing and singing the word of God. They would line the steps in front of the gates of Nicanor and sing the psalms. All scripture was sung. You know, we read Torah each week, but there's a whole system of musical notes that are used to chant the Torah. We don't do it because we don't have anybody trained in that. It's called Nakud. And the point I'm trying to make is this is part of the worship of God. The songs sung in the worship of God were scripture to music. That's messianic music. It is what the original disciples heard when they went to the services. Maybe not to the accompaniment of guitars, but certainly other stringed instruments. And the point I want to make is the instrument is not important, but what is important is the scripture to music. 
You should not have to read scripture during the worship service because you're singing scripture. You don't have to read it because you're singing it. We don't need sermons or testimonies. There's time for that during other parts of the service. But we're singing the Word of God. We're focusing on His Word. We're allowing the Spirit of God to move us into a new revelation of His Word. That's worship. Another great thing about it is you memorize a song much quicker than you memorize words on paper. And that's probably why God had us sing it to start out with. And why the first century believers could quote scripture so well. When you went to the temple, you didn't hear the I, me, me, I songs that you hear on Christian radio stations. Nor did the Hebrews put God's name in songs of Egypt or Rome. But they sang scripture to the songs of Zion. Listen to Psalm 137, which which speaks of the song sung. And the beauty of those songs. Psalm 137 verse 1 says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us to sing songs. And our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They sang, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? So beautiful were the psalms that they sung, that their captors wanted them to play them for them, to hear them. And now granted, we do some songs, some other songs as well. Don't get me wrong. I like some of those songs. I find them very worshipful and poignant at times. But the restoration we're looking for is scripture to music. The rest is consolation. And that's kind of the impossible task I give our worship leaders. I tell them, I want a song service of Messianic for the most part, but blend in a few contemporary songs as well so that the visitors will feel comfortable. And they do a great job, let me say. Don't they, don't, don't they do a great job? You see, that's the worship service part of the equation. And I said, when you come to Sar Shalom, that's what you sign up for. It's what we're all about, restoring the Jewishness, the Hebraic understanding, and the first century worship, however you want to put it. That's what God told me to do, so it's the reason for the existence of this community. It's the mission God has given me to do. It's the mission of the, that the elders support me in. I ask the elders to support me in this mission. And our bylaws, again, our bylaws, ask people after they've been here for 60 days to support this community with their time, their talents, their giftings, their finances. And those efforts and funds go into accomplishing this mission. Well, the verses I wanted to look at today are in Matthew. So why am I talking about all of this stuff, you might ask? Well, the verses I want to look at are Matthew chapter 12, verse 25 and 30, which say this. Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Every city or household divided against itself will not stand. And then verse 30 says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. You see, what Yeshua just told us is that anytime you have dual visions for a community, a kingdom or a household, it will not stand. And so understand, that's the reason, friends, that I fight so hard to keep foreign teachings like two house, sacred name, out of the congregation. 
It's the reason I asked the worship leaders to organize the worship the way they do. And again, like I said, they do a fantastic job. If I were to allow two house people and teachings to infiltrate the community, soon it will move away from the vision God gave me to something else. And the community will not stand. There will be division. If we allow all manner of different types of songs in our services. We'll move away from the messianic movement. We'll move away from the vision. If we allow the liturgy or the Torah service to be changed from what God ordained to something man-made up, no matter how beautiful it might be, we will move away from the vision to another vision, to another purpose, and we'll be divided. And we will not stand. My rabbi of blessed memory used to put it this way, and you may have heard me quote him. We love you, but please, don't rearrange our furniture. I wouldn't dream of coming into your house and rearranging your furniture, so don't come in here and rearrange ours. You see, if you have people come in with another vision and another purpose for the community, there will eventually be division because a house divided cannot stand. So it's the responsibility of myself and the elders to put everything else aside. Friendships aside, family aside, everything and everyone who would take us in a foreign direction and make sure this community keeps its vision and keeps those out who would change the vision and the focus, keep the community safe and standing firm. Amen? And so we set up boundaries that protect the community to keep it on a path of restoring the worship. The boundaries are our bylaws for the community. And it protects our community from change. Just as God, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, protects His Torah from change. Because there will always be those who think they have a better plan or a better idea. Not long ago, someone who left here years ago and has since returned came to me and said, You know, Stan, the greatest thing about Sar Shalom is that it does not change. And the reason Sar Shalom is unchanging is that I've never had a better idea than what God gave me. And I never will. And so the elders and I protect it from change. Let me give you an example of how often this can happen. A, a couple of, many years ago, when we were first getting started, our membership was maybe 20 or 30 people. And we had one of the more important couples we've ever, we, we had had in that time in our membership roles, they were really important to the community. They did a lot of things, a lot of ministry in the community. And they went to see this fellow named Bill Gothard, who was a Baptist preacher with a bent, what I like to say, toward legalism. And he taught things like homeschooling, staying out of debt and so forth. And here's what he would do in his messages. He'd give this heart-wrenching sermon. And then he would lead everybody into a prayer where they, whereby they promised God that they wouldn't do this or they wouldn't do that. The things he made people promise weren't even commanded by God. But by leading people in that prayer where they vowed to God never to do that again, he bound them because all your vows to the Lord must be fulfilled. You see, he led people in the truest form of legalism I've ever seen to date by binding people to what they weren't bound to. Well, anyway... This couple came to me one day and said, if you don't start to teach these things, we're going to have to find a new place to worship. And here's the problem. 
We were a young community, and besides being talented, they were our lar- the largest donors. They made up about half of the budget. And I had to tell them, well, you know, that's not what God told me to do. It's not what God has given me to do. And I'm going to listen to God and not men. And they left the community, and I thought for sure this is going to be a disaster. But you know something? We never missed their donation. Because God sent other people in at that time to take up the slack. The point being, if I had done what they asked, Kehilat Sar Shalom would no longer be a Messianic congregation. We'd be a Baptist congregation who did Davidic dance. You see, it was a test. Because God is no different. He's just as firm about accomplishing His purposes And that's the other thing you need to know and understand about worship in spirit and truth. You see, if I worship the Lord, the God of Israel, if I'm a follower of Messiah Yeshua, or we could say a disciple of Messiah Yeshua, or if I say, the Lord, the God of Israel is my Father, my King, if I prostrate myself in Him in reverence, then it stands when I stand back up that I will, as part of my worship, obey Him and His Word, and no one else. If we put ourselves back into the time of Yeshua when He spoke those words in John 4.23 to His original disciples, the first thing we need to come to grips with is the Word of God to them was the Torah, the prophets, and the other writings like the Psalms. All of these were taught to them through the lens of Yeshua's teachings and interpretations. There were no messianic writings, no letter to the Galatians, no first and second Peter. When Yeshua taught his disciples, he taught them Torah through the lens furnished through furnished him through the leading of the Spirit of God. So think about this. If we're to worship in spirit and truth, if we're to walk in the footsteps of the Messiah as the disciples did, then we need to walk out the Torah, the prophets, and the other writings by the leading of the Spirit of God because those were His footsteps. You see, the church looks at the Torah as void. Others in the church and parts of the Messianic movement look at the Torah as optional for non-Jews. There's a teaching out there now called Divine Invitation. God invites Gentiles to keep His Torah, but it's not necessary for you to do so. I got a word for that. You guys are mind readers. (laughs) Listen, folks, the Torah is not optional. It's not done away with. But these teachings gain a foothold because people don't understand Torah. I want you to understand Torah, though, so that you're not fooled by those things. First, we need to realize that the Torah is nothing more than God's loving boundaries for us. It's the boundaries of community, the boundaries of His kingdom. You know, I said a few weeks ago, if you don't come to grips with community, if you read through the Torah and you don't see it as a book about Messiah and community, then you need to reread because you've missed the purpose of the book. It's instructions given by God to keep us in community and in His presence. And it reveals the King of the community. 
It's a book about boundaries. Do no servile work on the Sabbath is a boundary. If you work on the Sabbath, you've set yourself outside of God's boundaries. You know, if you read Torah, it won't be long before you run across the term karet in Hebrew. Cut off in English. For breaking certain commands, the penalty was to be cut off from your people. So understand it this way. When you transgress, when you went outside of the boundaries of the community, you were cut off. You were outside of the community. You were outside of the presence of God because it's where He dwelled. God didn't do it. You did it. Why was keeping the Sabbath holy there? Well, easy. It told you where the boundary was. What was acceptable to God and what was not. It told you what kept you within the kingdom. What kept you within the boundaries. It was there as a loving protection to keep you in fellowship with God and with the community. You know... I've been teaching Torah quite a while, and but I always find it easier to teach Torah to people with children. It's much easier to teach to people with children than those who have never had children. Because in raising children, you begin to understand the love of your Father in Heaven in setting up boundaries. You see, there's love in the boundaries that a father places around his children. And that's what the Torah is. It's a love letter from the Father giving His children boundaries of His kingdom. They are the Father saying, I care for you. So don't do this because it will eventually separate you from me. It will take you out of the kingdom. And I want more than anything for you to stay with me. Parents do the same thing. That's why they're so easy to teach. They say, son... Don't go down by the water unless you have a life preserver because I love you. And if you fall in, it may separate you from me forever. Father may say, son, don't hang with those people because they've grown up without boundaries and they'll teach you to be separate from your family. They'll lead you in paths that will separate you from me and I love you and I want you near. That's the Torah. It's God telling us what will separate us from Him and His family. So if He loves you, why would He separate you from the family? Well, He doesn't. You do. He just told you the boundary. You walked outside. You walked outside of that boundary all by yourself. The separation is required because if you're allowed to remain, you'll lead others outside the boundary. So boundaries are God saying, I love you. I don't want to lose you. You know, if you look at children who grow up with no boundaries, you see children who are growing up without love. Our problem is, We look at boundaries as something bad. Something that an oppressive ogre has placed upon us. We're like the child who when the father forbids him to go down to the lake because there's no life preserver or no lifeguard says, You don't love me! You never let me do anything! You hate me! 
then he sneaks down to the lake anyway. Part of the worship, part of the homage is to realize that God is your Father. He loves you. He wants relationship with you. He has given you boundaries to keep you close, to keep you safe. Instead of saying, you don't love me. You never let me do anything. In our respect, in our worship, we say, thank you, Father, for your love for me. Can we spend the day together? You know, when you're younger, you have a problem with this. If we never experience the love of a father in our childhood, we really have a problem with this. Young people, as they grow into adulthood, they're trying to find their own place in life. They often have a problem with boundaries because they're not something that's very attractive to someone who's searching. Right? But later, they'll have children of their own. And they're going to place boundaries around their children. And then they'll begin to see just how much their father did love them. And hopefully, they'll begin to see Torah in a new light as well. Sadly, most adults, because they had not had this love in their lives, may not get this gift at all. And now, you know, I find another group that's real easy to teach, another group that realizes the love of boundaries and the love that God has for us as he puts boundaries about us and those who are, have lived a life without boundaries. They've lived a life without boundaries and they're on the brink of disaster because they have no boundaries. They find themselves going to the bottom of the lake for the third time when a loving hand of Messiah reaches out and grabs them snatches them from death that has come upon them and they spend the rest of their life basking in the love of the Father, never again venturing outside of the boundaries He's given because they know the consequences. So again, the worship of God is seeing that He's Abba, our Father, our Creator, and that He has set up loving boundaries, the boundaries of the kingdom for us because He wants us to remain close. And the worship comes when we recognize that and we conform to his wishes, knowing that he loves us and wants us to remain in his presence. And when we do that, we prostrate ourselves to him. We bow our wills to his. And if you don't accept the boundaries, you'll set yourself outside the kingdom, outside of God's presence. You'll be cut off. And it won't be God who does it. It will be you who does it. You divide yourself from the kingdom and God commands it because a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand and so you must leave. It's like the rebellious child in a household. If you have a child who won't live by the loving rules of the household, the father, and is continually arguing and continually going against the wishes of the parents, then you, as a parent, had better do something. Or that behavior will be transferred to the other children. Sometimes it gets so bad there must be a cutting off. You do that in hopes, in hopes of leading him to repentance. We did a sermon the other day on um, the prodigal son. Perfect story. You do it for the sake of the other children. Because he'll lead them in the same way to show them that's okay.
Listen to one of the hardest passages in Scripture. This has got to be the hardest passage in Scripture for people to understand. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of the city and say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He's a prolificate and a drunkard. And the men of his town shall stone him to death. You must purge evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. Why would God command such a seemingly terrible and impossible thing? Is he that much of an ogre? A terrible taskmaster to tell us to take the rebellious son to the gates of the city so that he can be stoned? No, it's because God has a lot of children and a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. God gave us instructions in the Torah because he loves us. You see, if there's no discipline, there's no love. If there's no judgment between right and wrong, if there's no boundaries, there's no love. And if he just let everyone go their own way and do their own thing, what we'd end up with is prophets like Jeremiah coming and telling us to repent, weeping over the disaster that was soon to come upon us. It's not hard. If we look at the book of Deuteronomy, I love Deuteronomy because it's instructions as you enter the land. It's instructions that are relevant for living. Listen to what it says in chapter 8, verse 1 through 5. Be careful to follow every command that I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and you may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your fathers. Remember how the Lord, your God, led you all the way in these desert 40 years to humble you, to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Now listen. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. And again in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 11 it says, My son... Do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. You see, worship is recognizing that God disciplines those he loves. He disciplines those who step out of the boundaries of the kingdom because he loves them and he would like them to return and remain. Worship is seen in this and delighting in Him for His love, delighting in Him for who He is and following His instruction so to remain close to Him. Community is no different. This community is no different. You know, we follow Torah. This community has standards, beliefs, visions, a purpose, all based on and within the boundaries of God's Torah and to fulfill Yeshua's prophecy. And if you remain in the boundaries, you're a blessing and you're a blessed member of the community. If you move outside the boundaries, you're in danger of walking yourself right out of the community, cutting yourself off. 
But understand, if there is no discipline, if there is no judgment as to right and wrong, if there are no standards, or standards are not in force, there is no love in your community. God disciplines those He loves. He disciplines because instruction is clear. Boundaries are clear. And a wise man recognizes and worships God for these things. The rebel curses him for it. God disciplines those he loves. A community disciplines those they love. That's the simplest principle of Torah that I know of. And yet, we have those who've studied Torah for years and have yet to come to grips with this simple principle. The Torah is about King Messiah and he's king of a kingdom. And so its rules, its Torah, are the boundaries of the kingdom. Their life inside the kingdom. And so it is also about life in his kingdom. And so he says, he who is not with him is against him. And he who does not gather with him scatters. And what I want you to see, you know, Yeshua doesn't leave any middle ground here. There's no gray area here, folks. There's no colors. It's just black and white. If you're not with me, you're against me. If you don't gather with me, you scatter with me. There's no middle ground. And we need to learn from that because it's the same for community, for our vision. You know, it's something that I came to grips with. I have come to grips with. And often, as with Torah, people don't understand or really like me for it. But here in this community, if you're helping restore the worship as it was in the first century in spirit and truth, then you're with us. You're within the boundaries of community. If you have another agenda, you're outside of the boundaries of community. And your being here will not be helping gather but it will be helping scatter. So understand, this is what God gave me to do. I put my hand to the plow, I can't take it off again. The buck stops here. The elders are here, I'll take the responsibility. The elders are here to help me with the vision of God, the vision God gave me and the prophecy of Yeshua. The deacons are here to help me with the vision that God gave me and this prophecy of Yeshua. And you are all here to help with the vision and this prophecy of Yeshua. That's why we're here. Like it or not, well, I'm not Moses. I'm the Moses of Kehilat Sar Shalom. I'm the James of Kehilat Sar Shalom. I'm the Shaul of Kehilat Sar Shalom. The one sent to do the work here. And they didn't remove their hand from the plow and neither will I. And that's my promise. And folks, really think about it. Life is not that hard. It's not hard at all. Living in unity and community and following God's Torah, His principles, is not hard. It's a joy. It's the warm blankie you cover yourself at night with. It's Father tucking you in at night. Let's stay under the covers because it gets cold outside. Let's stay within the boundaries because it's dangerous outside the camp. Amen?